Welcome to Center Ice. It is the 29th of June in the year 2021. Stanley Cup final is going on as we speak. And as of this recording, the Tampa Bay Lightning are up one nothing. Certainly an unexpected playoffs. Lots and lots to talk about in regards to that. And we've got a bit of other news we want to get to today. But before we get into any of that, I will bring in my co-host, as always, Mac Vincent. Mac, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm good, Matt. I'm getting my final dose, hopefully final dose, second dose of uh, my COVID vaccination tomorrow night. So I'm excited about that and relieved about that. Uh, had dinner with some friends that I haven't seen for a long, long time yesterday. So that was nice. And I'm on my reading week. So no complaints. <laughs> well, that sounds very nice. And I will say just a heads up uh, for anyone going to get the second dose, definitely get it. Do be prepared for a little bit of chills. I've noticed a bit of a trend with that. So uh, you might want to make yourself a nice cup of hot cocoa or something and watch the game. But anyways, let us jump in to the news. Mac, the uh, big news coming out right now is Ryan Nugent Hopkins sticking around with the Edmonton Oilers. And I would argue on a pretty team-friendly deal, eh? Yeah, I agree. Eight years, around $41 million. I think he definitely could have pushed for more. I think this is probably a player that wanted more term than money. So the team had to either front load the deal or give him less on a long-term deal. And they chose to give him less, and that's what they agreed on. He's only 28 years old. And listen, he's not part of the problem in Edmonton. I think the biggest thing that you and I have talked about is he needs some guys to play with. I mean, you're talking about a guy who has played with players like Zach Cassian and, you know, James Neal, who's not good anymore. And like, I can't even name all the mediocre line mates he has played with. But anytime you put him with good players, you see the results. And I think... If the Oilers can make a move and acquire some guys to play with Nugent Hopkins, they'll be that much better because they'll actually have two lines that are dangerous. Absolutely. I think Edmonton's going to be a very interesting case this summer, Mac, especially after the way they got eliminated so quickly in the first round by the Jets. I think Ken Holland is smart enough to recognize the problem is depth. In Edmonton, the question is, what is he going to do about it? And he may not be the GM he once was when he was with Detroit Mac, but I still have some confidence in Ken Holland to make some smart moves and increase that depth and give guys like Nuge players to actually play with. And as you mentioned, when you've partnered Nugent Hopkins with good players, he tends to produce really good results. And that's what any good player will do, right? A good player can only carry you so far. You need to have pieces around him to compliment him. And only for certain parts of his career, he's been able to say that he's had those pieces around him. And I think that that's the number one priority this offseason for Edmonton is to get pieces to build around so that you aren't that one-line team that we saw in the first round of the playoffs this year. Yeah, no doubt. And the clock is ticking for Ken Holland and the Oilers here because it's not going to be long before, you know, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are going to have enough of this. I mean, you never know what's going to happen with them. So 
and your roster is pretty good right now, but it's incomplete. It's lacking a lot of areas. There, there are some strong players on that team, but they definitely need more depth and they definitely need more to be a consistent threat, I would say, in the playoffs because everybody that I know and me included and you included knows that this Oilers team is going to be good in the regular season and then they're going to have trouble in the playoffs because guess what? If you have to shut down two players in the playoffs and not really worry about almost anybody else on the roster, that's not a difficult task for NHL playoff teams. No, it's not. The thing that every team and every coach should know about the playoffs is when you go in the playoffs, shutdown hockey just becomes the name of the game. And that open ice McDavid's going to get in the regular season, he's not going to get in the playoffs. Good teams will find a way to shut him down. Anyways, in other news, Mac, this is breaking just as the show comes on. A report from Frank Cervelli is stating that Tarasenko and the Blues are looking at a trade here. Now, this isn't as big of a news as it would have been three, four years ago when Tarasenko was a, a league superstar. But I'd still say it is significant news, more in the fact that it shows that St. Louis knows changes need to be made if they want to get back to where they were in the Stanley Cup a couple years ago. The Blues have been on a downward trend, I'd argue, since then, especially since they entered the bubble. They had their real inconsistencies this year. And I think that management in St. Louis is getting ahead of the curve on this. And they know that Tarasenko isn't the player he once was. He's been dealing with injuries. And with a $15 million cap hit, if you can find a team to take him off your back, that that's certainly a big boost for the St. Louis Blues in either retooling or rebuilding their roster. Yeah, they're they're in tough because a like you said, he has a full no move clause, and the cap number is high for a player that once produced at an elite level, but has not even really produced much at all the last two three years. It's possible someone will will take a flyer on him, but I think this is going to be a difficult contract to move. And I think a little more problematic, Matt, for the St. Louis Blues is Jaden Schwartz, one of your best players, who, when healthy, is very good but does struggle with injuries, is a free agent this offseason. And like you said, you look at how much the Avalanche embarrassed them, and the Avalanche are one of the best teams in the league. So I don't think... St. Louis should feel any shame towards what happened in round one. Everybody saw it happening, but you're right. They, they need to look ahead and figure out how to kind of retool, get a little younger and make their way back to where they were. So now I haven't heard this concrete. I'm just going to mention this quickly here, but another player I've heard that could be on the move is Tomas Hurdle in San Jose. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that's a good move for San Jose. I like Tomas Hurdle. See, I've heard his name come up over the years before, but based on what's happened in San Jose, I think this sounds more concrete. I do believe that there's a pretty good market for him. It's just a matter of who can take on his cap hit and who has the pieces that San Jose is looking for. And Tomas Hurdle isn't going to get what he once was, but he's he once did, but he's still a good player. And he's... A, he's a play driver. He can score. He plays great defense. He's a great all-around player, I argue. And for the right price, I think a lot of teams would be willing to take a shot at Tomas Schertl if they can agree on something. Now, of course, the question comes 
what is San Jose going to look for? And I imagine they'll be looking for at least a first-round pick for Thomas Schertel and probably a half-decent prospect based on what San Jose is wanting to do with their rebuild. But I, I see that being a, a real opportunity for a lot of teams because I do think that he could use a change of scenery, Mac. He's been in San Jose since the start of his career, and I think playing under a new system, a new coach in a new market could do him wonders because he's a really good player, but he has had his inconsistencies through his career and through his time in San Jose. So I think that this could be a bit of a mutually beneficial move, Mac, and it certainly would help San Jose clear up some cap space because they desperately need cap space. Yeah, absolutely. All right. On to some more important news here. And you guys may have heard about this. You may have not. It wouldn't be surprising if you haven't heard about it because the NHL and the Chicago Blackhawks have tried to keep it, quote, under wraps. But we need to talk about this, don't we, Matt? Hey, absolutely. This is something that uh, the NHL may not want to talk about, but I think the hockey world needs to. So, yeah. Like I said, if you haven't heard, there is a sexual assault situation with the Blackhawks, which happened in 2010. That was the year they won the cup. Um, and Brad Aldrich was the video coach who was accused of assaulting this player who came out um, unnamed and one other player in 2010. The Blackhawks did not say anything about this and they launched a, quote, independent private investigation. Now, I was reading through some articles and Rick Westhead, who does a great job for TSN covering difficult stories like this. He's a great investigative journalist, was talking to one of the victims. Eleven years later, he's still struggling. Important to note here, as Westhead points out, Aldrich was convicted of one count of sexual assault while in Michigan. And police records indicate there were other incidents involving minors, although he was not charged. And like I said, the Blackhawks have launched an independent investigation, but I have a very hard time believing they, the players, management, the ownership, did not know what happened. And they're hoping that it will just kind of go away. And I, I, I really don't think it will, Matt. I think this is an issue that needs to be addressed. And if the Blackhawks and the NHL want their fans to to be, I would say, satisfied with the results of this investigation. They need to make these results public. That is the standard for any sort of investigation of this matter. And let, let's just hope that the victims are doing okay. And let's just hope that not only the victims from the Chicago Blackhawks team in 2010, but also the other victims from Aldrich's life in general are doing okay. It's just it, it really is terrible. And I look, I love hockey. It's, it's my favorite sport, but the NHL is a hard league to love because oftentimes they will push these things under the rug, whether it be CTE, something serious like this, a sexual assault situation, which seems very real, by the way. And a lot of the players seem to know. And it's just... It's sad, really. And like I said, I hope for the best for the victims involved. And and it's amazing that this has been pushed aside for 11 years, Matt. Well, it, it's it's really upsetting as just a fan of the game in general and just 
as a good person overall, you know, you, you look at this situation, you just shake your head, right? You, you wonder how can we allow things like this to still happen nowadays, but I'll tell you the big problem, Mac, is it's still a bit of a cultural thing. We like to act like the NHL has, you know, is more progressive and has really moved along. But unfortunately, there still is this culture in a lot of sports around the world, Mac, where you you could be a part of this team and you could, be, you know, you could be doing some truly horrible things like Aldrich has been alleged to have done here. And a team could know, but they won't do anything, Mac, because if you're winning do that, and you're making them money, unfortunately, a lot of these things get swept under the rug. And, and it's not just a sports thing. It's a thing with life in general, and it's horrible to see. But I really do hope that we can move away from things like that, because I, I don't care whether he was video coach or your head coach, right? He could have won 20 Stanley Cups for you. But if he did something like that, he is out, right? It, it, to me, that just shows where the Blackhawks organization, you know, where their priorities was. It really doesn't look good on the organization. It didn't look good on them then. And it certainly doesn't look good on them now, considering they aren't willing to face this head on, take responsibility, take action, take the steps that are needed to rectify this situation and ultimately the unfortunate thing is the victims of Aldrich you know they'll ne never fully recover as you mentioned the players that uh, have come out against him are still struggling about this and that was 11 years ago but we certainly uh, as fans of hockey should demand a lot more from teams and the league as a whole in situations like this yeah, you're right. And going back to a point you made where the NHL is really trying to promote the idea that hockey is for everyone. Let's be honest, Matt. They want people to think that hockey is for everyone, but we are a long, long, long way away from hockey being for everyone, especially in a league that's run like this and ignores issues like this pretty much all the time. Absolutely. And you mentioned that the NHL is a long way from that. Let's just think back to last summer and you can have your own thoughts on Black Lives Matter. But the general idea of all the major black NHL players coming together and forming a coalition and saying, you know, let's promote inclusivity in the game. Let's get more black kids playing hockey. Let's do this and that. It, it all sounded great. You and I sounded off on this last year. We said, why isn't the NHL really getting on board with this? Because this is a great idea. Just like the uh, NWHL, right? The NHL doesn't get on board with things like that, where I think the NHL should take a page out of the NBA's book. They're really good on movements like that. They actively support the NWN, the, yeah, the N WNBA, that's right. And they actively invite them to all-star games and big games and they promote social justice and movements and they, they don't tolerate things like this when issues of racism or assault or things like that have come up yeah the nba is imperfect but they're certainly a lot better than what the nhl has done on issues like this yeah for sure so so let's move on to the some stanley cup talk and before we get into the current series that's going on Tampa Bay with a huge 
victory in game one. Let's talk about the two series that were. And I want to first talk about Vegas. So Vegas loses in six games to Montreal. And my biggest takeaway from this, Matt, was that they really didn't get anything from their top line. I mean, Mark Stone did not look like Mark Stone. I mean, I I, I didn't recognize him at all in this series. And it was it was tough to watch because you and I love Mark Stone, but he did not look like himself, like I said. No, he did not look like himself at all. And to just give you perspective, Mac, I actually took this picture the other night during uh, game six of that series because I thought it was such a good point. It was an infographic from Sportsnet showing the Vegas Golden Knights' top, top line. In rounds one and two, their top line scored 21 goals. And in round three, they scored zero. And that's very telling about a situation with Vegas. And, you know, I'm a big Mark Stone fan. I have been since he broke into the league with Ottawa. And this is the first time, I'd say, in his career where I've really been disappointed by his performance because, look, he's a captain. He's getting paid big bucks. This is where you make your money. This is where if your team is down, you propel them back into the game. And I think that's what people remember you for. You know, it, <clears throat> excuse me. It's unfortunate, but at the end of the day, and when you're a captain, you're leading your team. People will remember your playoff performances more than anything else. Look at guys like Matthews and Marner in Toronto. You know, they had really good regular seasons, but they didn't do anything in round one or hardly anything, I should say. And people don't remember their regular seasons because their playoff performance overshadowed that. And I think we're seeing the same with Mark Stone. And if you're a Vegas fan and a Vegas general manager, whatever. If you're involved with Vegas, I should say, this is a situation where you got to start thinking, okay, what do we need to do? Because you've had this core together for two, three seasons now, and you've gotten pretty close. You've gone to the conference finals a couple of times, and you had an epic collapse against the Sharks the one year. But I'd say it's time for this Vegas core to start producing results, and it hasn't. So I think if you're McPhee, you got to start making moves. Yeah, I agree with that. And just going off what you said, I mean, Chandler Stevenson was injured most of the series, but he is, should not be playing top-line center on any team. He's more of a third-line centerman, and he's more known for his defensive abilities than anything else. Two points for Max Pacioretty. And zero points for Stone. So like you said, I think you do look at the core. And what I what I think about when I look at this Vegas team is, look, you've got the defense and the goaltending figured out. Those two things are outstanding. The offense is a little questionable. I think the second line with Smith, Marcheseau, and Carlson, I wouldn't want to change that. I love that line. The third and fourth lines are pretty mediocre. I really like the development of Keegan Colzar. I think he could be a third or fourth line player now. I didn't think that before. Alex Tuck is a guy that I think you want to keep around. I'm not wild about guys like Thomas Nosek, Ryan Reeves, etc. But I think the biggest thing here, Matt, is they still need that number one center. And they should be, we mentioned Thomas Schertel. Maybe they can look at getting him. Maybe he definitely will cost less than a Jack Eichel. 
But I do think you also look at a Jack Eichel. Like, you really need a top center to kind of move the needle here because when you are a good defensive team with very good goaltending, that will get you, you know, a decent amount and fairly far in the playoffs. But if you don't have enough offense to back up that defense in goaltending, you're going to run into problems. And when one team keys in on your, your top line and forces one other line to produce, and then you have two other lines that really aren't doing anything, it's tough to win. So yeah, I think it's not that difficult to go out and get forward depth. You have to be smart and you have to figure out, okay, how much are we paying this guy and this guy? How can we fit this guy in? But like you said, you have to look at the core and say, what can we do differently here to put us over the top? Because they've been there. They've been in the conversation ever since they came into existence, but they just haven't been able to get the job done. And I think this series in particular, look, I get that facing Minnesota and facing Colorado, those were exhausting series, but there's no excuses for this performance. I mean, really after game one and game two, this Vegas team did not look good at all. No, not at all. And there's a reason why pretty much everyone outside of Montreal is expecting Vegas to win this series. It, I don't want to downplay too much what Montreal has done because they've had an incredible run here, Mac. But at the same time, Vegas was expected to win this series and for good reason. They were the better team by far. And they really should have outclassed Montreal, even with Carey Price and the way the Canadians have been playing, but I'd say it was, was less Montreal one and more Vegas to feed themselves. They refused to adapt to Montreal's counterattacks. They refused to adjust their shooting lanes to, and get more dirty goals in front of Carey Price. They refused to adjust anything really to face Montreal and Montreal took complete advantage of that to their credit. And they ran to the bank, and now they're in the Stanley Cup final where Vegas is sitting on the sideline. Yeah, for sure. So I think, like I said, Vegas needs to look at ways to tweak the roster and the forward group. The defense is not an issue. The goaltending is not an issue. If Marc-Andre Fleury is willing to come back, bring him back. Bring him back with Laner to have probably the best goaltending duo in the league, I would say maybe aside from the Islanders with Varlamov and Sorokin. It is tremendous. So let's move on to a series that you and I absolutely loved, and that was the Islanders and the Lightning. I mean, what an incredible seven-game series this was. There was only one dud game and all that, and that was game five. But we can excuse that because all the other games were just so good. And I got to say, if you're an Islanders fan, that's really rough back-to-back conference finals against the same team. And they played pretty well in Game 7, I'd argue, Mac. But the the Tampa Bay Lightning played the perfect Game 7. You couldn't have played a Game 7 more perfectly if you tried, Mac. They just suffocated the Islanders for the entirety of that Game 7 and snuck away with a one nothing win. And I'd say there, there's really not much you can hang your head on if you're an Islanders fan, Mac. Yeah, you could get some better defensive and scoring depth, but really everything you need is there. I'd say they just ran into a better team is what it ended up being. And I'm expecting the Islanders to rebound from this loss. Barry Trott is a guy that has learned from his defeats over the years. 
And I'd expect him to be in a, a force to be reckoned with in the playoffs again next year, especially with the aforementioned goaltending duo Mac there. It, it's going to be another good year on Long Island, especially with their new arena. That's the one thing that really disappointed me, Mac, because I was hoping they could send off Nassau Coliseum with a Stanley Cup win. Ultimately, the hockey gods weren't smiling down upon the Islanders for Game 7, so that won't happen. But I'm very happy with what the Islanders were able to do this year. I think that Barry Trotz will learn. He'll make some coaching adjustments going into the playoffs next year. And if the Islanders can stay consistent, have the good goaltending again, I really do think they could potentially win the Metropolitan Division. You'll look at that division, Mac. And you, you say, you know, who is better than the New York Islanders when the Islanders are consistent? I'd say nobody in that division. There's some that get close, but I'd say the Islanders are the team to beat in the Metropolitan Division now. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And just another impressive run for the New York Islanders. And people forget that Anders Lee, their captain and one of their better players, did not play the majority of the season and the playoffs. So they'll have him back next year. But I think this goes back to a conversation you and I had last night, and that is who is going to unseat the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Eastern Conference next year? And the Islanders, in our opinion, have the best chance to do that. Are they going to do that with the current roster? Probably not, but if they can make some changes and upgrade in some certain areas, I don't see why not. I mean, if you look at how close they came, like you said, aside from that dud of a game where Tampa was just all over them, they were that close to getting to the Stanley Cup. And if they got there, you and I would have picked them to win against Montreal. So, like you said, no reason for Islanders, management and fans to hang their head, but reason to think, okay, how can we take that next step and be a consistent threat to win the Stanley cup because we're just, we're close, but we're just not there yet. And I would also argue, Matt, that you can't go quote unquote all in because we've seen that disaster unfold so many times. What you need to do now is make those smart moves. And I have trust in Lou Lamorello to make those smart, small moves that may seem inconvenient you know, insignificant when they're made, but come next June, they'll be very, very uh, beneficial for the New York Islanders. So I have a lot of faith in the Islanders here, Mac. They've got an owner that's committed to win, to give the team the money they need to compete. And they've got the brand new arena. I'm really looking forward to that this fall, even though it's, it's hard to say goodbye to an old friend in the Nassau Coliseum. It's unfortunate that I'll never get a chance to see a game in person there because the Islanders cr- crowd, the atmosphere, the whole the whole experience of going to an old arena like that, you can't find many like that anymore. I'd say the only one you can really think of in the NHL now, Mac, would probably be the Scotiabank Saddle Dome out in Calgary. But yeah, you yeah. can't match that Islanders crowd. And I'm I'm very confident, Mac, that that Islanders crowd will be there next spring in Belmont Park for a first-round series against whoever it may be. All right, so on to the Stanley Cup. So Montreal, like I mentioned, defeats Vegas in six to get there. They have gone on a tremendous kind of Cinderella-type run. Tampa Bay beats the Islanders in seven. 
they really that was the first team they really had some trouble with. They were pretty much dominant the rest of the way. And game one, Tampa Bay left no reason to be doubted with a 5-1 victory. I mean, you and I are, are are pretty much all in on the Lightning at this point and have been, I would say, since round one. Yeah, I'd argue since round one. We've been riding pretty high on the Lightning and for good reason. You know, as you mentioned, you and I have looked at other teams in the East that the Lightning will have to play next year. You know, who, besides the Islanders, who is going to overthrow them? The Bruins weren't going to. The Hurricanes weren't going to. The Panthers weren't going to. So it was kind of a foregone conclusion, Mac, that the Lightning were probably going to make the Stanley Cup again. It was just a matter of who they were going to face. Yeah, exactly. And the scary thing is, I think they're even better this year than they were last year because, yes, Victor Hedman is not having the type of season he did last year, which was just ridiculous. Norris, Conn Smythe, all those things. He was incredible. But this year, Eric Chernak and Ryan McDonough have been one of the best defensive pairings in the league, and they've taken a huge step forward. And also young stars like Sergachev and Sorelli continue to get better. And you still have Andre Vasilevsky in that who, look, I think it's between him and Hellebuck for the best goalie in the league, but he has been absolutely tremendous throughout this playoff run. And really the last few years, he's just been the gold standard. Then you also have two of the best playoff performers in modern NHL history and Nikita Kucherov and Braden Point. So it, it, there's a reason this team is so hard to beat and and again, I think about next year and I say, which team could potentially unseat them? And the only team I think of is the Islanders. And even that seems like a bit of a stretch because this Tampa Bay team should at least be in their window for another year or two after this year, I think. Yeah, I did mention to you last night, Matt, that the cap is starting to become a concern. They technically are $17 million over the cap when you account for LTIR, but they are playing within the system, Mac. So I won't get on them about that, but you're right. The lightning, even if they lose a couple pieces, which they more than likely will this off season are still a formidable foe. And you look at teams and it's hard to sit besides the Islanders. You can't really find a team that you say is definitely going to be better than the lightning next year. And Could we see a three-peat? It's very well possible, Mac. Yeah, I think this is the best team we've seen since like the Penguins and the Red Wings and the Blackhawks in the early 2000s, late 2000s. Like, Like this is just a tremendous team that is just stacked from top to bottom and and they've got management that knows how to play the system. They know how to manipulate the salary cap. They know how to make sure they get the most out of trades. They have tremendous player development. They're always churning out these players that you never even heard of. Like how many people knew this Ross Colton kid before he stepped in and really made like an immediate impact on that fourth line. So, yeah, I mean, obviously the money is going to be an issue. You might lose a guy like Chernak or McDonough in the expansion draft. That is possible, but if you can move a guy like Tyler Johnson, who's making, I think it's $5 million, that's a guy that would free up some money. 
you're probably going to lose a Blake Coleman, who I'm a huge fan of, by the way. I think whoever ends up with him is getting a great player in free agency. But they're still a really good team, and they will still find ways to be successful. So, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing how other teams respond to this run by the Lightning because I think the biggest thing I've taken away from the playoffs the last three, four years, Matt, is everybody talks about the goaltending and the center depth. But what I've seen is the teams that are winning these Stanley Cups, they have really big um, mobile two-way type defensemen. These guys are 6'2", 6'3", 210, 220, 230. They know how to play that physical game. They can move the puck and they're good defensively. That is a common theme. If you look back, I would say the last 10 years, and it's fine to have guys like Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes and Adam Fox, but you can't have too many guys like that to be successful in the playoffs. And it's been proven time and time again. So I wonder if other teams kind of pick up on that and say, hey, we need to change the way we are thinking about building a Stanley Cup winning roster. Well, you you bring up an excellent point, Mac. And it's good to, when you look back, the reason those two-way big defensemen are so important is the physicality, Mac. That's just a fact with the NHL. Even though the game has gotten quicker, one thing that remains true is come NHL playoff time, the physicality just gets ramped up to another level and as much as I love guys like McCarr and Fox they are not guys that I expect to be physical night in and night out and having a good two-way defenseman not only gives you that edge on the physicality but also they block shots they kill penalties they can get you some points on a power play or just in regular five-on-five play they are just critical overall to the success of a team in the playoffs nowadays. Look at the two teams, right? You Let's look at Montreal, Mac. You've got Shea Weber, and yeah, Shea Weber isn't the player he once was when he was in Nashville, but I'd argue he's had a pretty darn good playoffs, Mac. He's been able to get points. He's blocked a lot of shots for Montreal. He's killed penalties, and he's been physical. That's exactly what you want out of a two-way defenseman. And Shea Weber's playing his role perfectly, and, and I'd say a large part, he, he's been a big part of that Montreal team getting to the Stanley Cup final. And I certainly wouldn't count Montreal out yet. We'll, we'll talk about them at the moment, but it just goes to show both Tampa and Montreal have at least one big two-way defenseman. And they've been X-factors at many points during both these teams' playoff runs. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they're a huge reason that Obviously, Carey Price is kind of the reason, but they're also another big reason that Montreal has had their playoff success. Like Joel Edmondson, Jeff Petrie, Shea Weber, these guys are not small defensemen and they can play that two-way game. They can be physical. They're good defensively. Like I said, uh, I don't think the Montreal Canadiens are out of this series yet. I do think the Lightning are taking this. But the Montreal Canadiens have proven time and time again in the playoffs that they can play that good defensive game. And they have very good goaltending from Carey Price. So I think if you're Montreal going into game two, you have to say, listen, if we want to beat this Lightning team, we have to play a perfect defensive game. We can't give them power plays. We have to limit their transition offense. And we have to kind of clog up the neutral zone, be very 
physical and probably focus in on players like Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov. So it's not lost yet, but game one was just an absolute annihilation for the Lightning. So we'll see what Montreal does. And like I said, they've proven they can play that defensive game. It's going to be a huge challenge, though, against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Absolutely. Any team that was coming out of that side of the bracket was going to face a real challenge in Tampa Bay, whether that was Vegas or Colorado or Montreal in this situation. They were in tough against Tampa Bay because Tampa is just so good. And the crazy thing with Tampa is you you know, you lose a guy to injury and they have a next man up mentality in Tampa. And they are just an insanely good team. Depth from all four lines. And Montreal is in really tough. I'd say this is a David versus Goliath matchup if you've ever seen it, Matt. But you look at Montreal and how they can win. Obviously, the buck stops at Carey Price, Mac. If Carey Price is now perfect, Montreal is going to lose the game. And we saw that last night. Carey Price had a couple goals where I thought he, he probably should have had that. And then you you look at the defense. Montreal's defense has been really good these playoffs, but they need to be even better against Tampa. As you mentioned, they need to be basically perfect for the entire 60-minute game. And then they really need to perfect that counterattack. And they need to be quick and they need to really dig deep and get those pucks in deep as, you know, they like to say on Sportsnet, Mac. (laughs) (laughs) So I think Montreal, if they can dig deep, get those dirty rebounding type goals that they've been finding success with. And really, they need Cole Caulfield to step up even more. I know it's asking a lot of him in his rookie year, but if if he and Nick Suzuki, for example, can get to another level for the Stanley Cup, that just bodes so well for Montreal. But they're really in tough. But at the same time, you know, the previous three rounds, I've ridden them off, and they've uh, proven me wrong time and time again. But this one just feels different, you know. Tampa is on another level than pretty much every other team in the league. Yeah, absolutely. And you and I are both picking Tampa. I'm going to say Tampa and four because I just, as much as I want to give Montreal a chance, I just, the, the way the Lightning have played throughout the playoffs has just been so consistent. And when they lose, they usually lose by a goal, maybe. So I'll continue with the Lightning and, and I think they're going to sweep this series. I think it's going to be pretty quick. Oh, well, I'm not quite as hopeless as you are, Mac. I'm going to give Montreal a game because Carey Price, I feel as though, is going to steal a game in Montreal, whether that's game three or four. I think that they'll be propelled by their hometown crowd, which, uh, interesting, Mac, an uh, interesting note, could be increased up to two thousand. Sorry, 10,500 for game three. So uh, certainly going to be a much louder bell center if that is the case. And I think that Montreal can steal a game, but I'm I'm not expecting them to win four against Tampa. Okay. Anything else you'd like to say before we wrap this one up, Matt? No, I don't think there's a whole lot more to add. Of course, the NHL draft is coming up. And I believe the NHL awards are tonight, but pretty much all the results have already been released. So not too much to talk about on that. So I'd say that just about does it. Center Ice is brought to you by the National Podcast Network. And as always, you can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
We were looking at getting another couple episodes out next month for you guys, including one focusing on the NHL draft. I'm really looking forward to that one myself. And until next month, this is Matt signing off for Mac. And enjoy the Stanley Cup final, guys.